You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, you are listening to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I am your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is a veteran of Megawatt. He performs weekly with the Armando Diaz Experience every Saturday at 7.30. He is the great Frank Bonomo. Hello, world. Hey, Frank. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. A pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. This was uh, quite a surprise, and uh, I couldn't wait to dive in. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> you, so you know nothing about our conversation today. You got no, Evan contacted There's you and asked you to come nothing. in. Nothing. No, nothing. no carrier pigeon, no, no hint not at- even a, Not even a suggestion of things to talk about? No, nope, I got an sorry. email, and I was like, I know everything about this that I need to know, I think. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. You, let's see, let's kind of begin at the beginning. Oh, man. When did I first meet you? I was trying to think about this earlier today. I don't remember. You were- handshake name introduction or like- When, 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 oh, that guy over there. That guy over there. When did we start to, uh, you were like early on, you were like the second wave of people at the theater. Yeah, it was, it was probably around 2006. Yeah. Um, I had started taking classes that summer and, um, kind of just showing up around the theater as much as possible. Uh, the sweet thing about 2006 was I lived like a five minute brisk walk from the theater. Oh, that is sweet. So, you know, in terms of uh, taking classes and finding a home that was away from home, it was just like a natural place to be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's 2006. I want to say what, what made you start? Um, I found out about, the magnet and improv through Joey Demner, mm-hmm. who's you know a mutual friend, mm-hmm. um, and now brother-in-law. Hey, can I pause <laughs> you for a second? Yeah, sure. I just recently found out that he's your brother-in-law. I had no idea, and then when it was pointed out to me, I was like, "Oh, of course." How did you just find that out? I just I never put it together. Oh, I feel like I feel like there was an earthquake when that happened. Yeah, I, I guess I missed it. I was asleep at the wheel. Oh, man. Joey Demner, a, a name who may not be familiar to many of the people listening to this podcast, but but going way back, an old-time magnet guy. Uh, uh, he and I used to perform together on a team. Uh, uh, just a fabulous guy who moved to San Francisco to make his uh, good fortunes. He lives in L.A. now, and yeah. he's, a, he's a proud father of a baby girl. Yes, the 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 most adorable baby girl. I mean, all babies are adorable. I mean, if you're into babies, you're going to love this. This Yeah. 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 Okay. So Joey, So Joey Demner and I, we work at the Apple store down in Soho, which was used to be the only Apple store uh, in the city. So if you worked at the Apple store, you probably worked there around then. Um, And uh, yeah, we were coworkers and, you know, we started becoming uh, friends through work. And, you know, just sort of taking lunches together and joking around. And I remember one day we were walking down Prince Street to go to this little Thai place that we used to love. And um, maybe I was doing a character or something. You know, it was a bit of a bit. And I think he was just loving it. And he's like, oh, man, you should take an improv class. I was like, it just didn't register in my brain. It just didn't mean anything. And I was like, yeah, okay. So, um through, I think, more and more lunches and goofing around. Uh, I think he got the sense that like, oh, this guy would probably love to do this type of thing um, in a setting where people are trying to to be funny. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I kind of started 
looking into it. And I think the magnet had a, a special sweet deal. If you can catch it, take, take advantage of the uh, $50 off level one class when that rolls around. Yeah. That's currently rolling. Around is it? Now. Oh man. I, I mean, that may be out of date by time. This is uh nope. I'm getting the I'm getting the thumbs up from Evan. Promotional There's a fifty dollar off on level one classes. Only cow, take advantage of it. Of course, back then there wasn't, but classes back then were like fifty dollars or something. Yeah, no, they were they were probably a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I signed up and was like, all right, I'm going to do this thing, and then we're going to have this new fun thing to talk about, you know, at lunch and sort of nerd out about. And that was that was more or less the plunge. Yeah, yeah. There was a period, 2006, 2007, where. Uh, I think everybody who worked at the Apple store was doing improv at one point. There was, there was a huge explosion of Apple store people. Yeah. We were like finding people jobs yeah. who needed jobs. Cause there were like a lot of people who just like, we're doing this and you know, maybe the other thing they had been doing, you know, just had burnt out for whatever reason. Yeah. And uh, it was like, Oh, you know, this place we work is kind of a, it's a good enough thing that you can put up with it and like, um, and, and make that other thing that you do outside of, work because you need a job work. So it was like, um, yeah, we like, we're inviting our friends to like, Hey, you should come get a job here. You know, like you are, you've, you've got a great personality. You know how to talk uh, to and deal with people. Like we need you in an environment where there are a lot of people trying to figure out what an iPod is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like the golden era of uh, Apple store too. This is like, yeah, this is the, 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 the real boom of early iPod. This is the, you know, I don't know, the 96 bulls of, yeah. <laughs> of the Apple store era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they had those cool commercials where everyone, they were like, it was like oh, a white background. And yeah, like it was like John Hodgman was like, so, yeah, the, yeah. yeah it, was, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember we, uh, we, we tried to get as many improv people jobs at the time as we could. Yeah. Two mixed degrees of success. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, though there was a period of time where you can walk down to the Apple store in Soho and be greeted by George Basil now of HBO fame. This is true. It's exciting. Yeah. You'd be greeted and delighted by George Basil, but yeah. now he gets to do it for so many more people. He does it for a lot more people. <laughs> and he probably, to be fair, I don't think George would, would, uh, I, I would say this to his face. He probably wouldn't give you a lot of great information on the iPod either. I don't know. You know, I think he drank the Kool-Aid like everyone <laughs> else. I think he knew what to tell you. Um, yeah. You know, I think you were lucky if you were to walk into that store and meet George Basil, yeah. you know, just being George Basil and working for the Apple store. I mean, George Basil, George and I did classes like when Magnet first opened, we were we 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 came up together. George Basil's gift is his ability to be George Basil yeah. all the time. He has like an amazing ability to just relax and be himself. Yeah, regardless of the situation. Knowing George, it's kind of like you get to witness him as he is, you know, and it's just like, oh, I, this is this is an interesting person. And then he kind of like wakes you up a yeah. little bit, yeah. you know. So it's like you're you you know that, you know, when you hang out with George and you're just hanging out, like special moment. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, it, hanging out with George is, is a little bit like hanging out with. Um, the guy's name from True Detective, Matthew McConaughey. There's a little yeah. bit of like a Matthew McConaughey vibe to that, where there's like there's a special kind of mellow to this guy. Yeah, uh, uh, and he had it like that was his gift as a student too in level one classes, and he just kind of like honed this amazing ability to to not have any 
anything artificial kind of come up. You never catch that guy performing. He's just kind of relaxed and open and, and, and just like totally himself all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious in his timeline where he discovered that was the most effective choice for him. Yeah. Um, because, uh, yeah, I think that's the George we know yeah. and, and the way he plays and the way he's just sort of this natural version of himself. And there's so many different sides to that self that, um, it, yeah, he just always comes through in it, you know? Yeah. So what was yeah. your impression like when you like first got into the improv scene? My first impression was what a weird, fun thing to have stumbled upon. You know, it's like, this is so unlike, you know, any other New York thing you could join or do, you know, you can go to like, uh, author speaking events at Barnes and Noble and that's your thing. And maybe, you know, everyone there and you know where the good seats are and you know how to get in line. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, there's plenty of things to consume and nerd out about in New York. Mm-hmm. And improv is, you know, one of those sort of, the, the door is is open to anyone who wants to participate. So it's a real interesting um, niche, you know. Uh, that might be a bigger question, you know. Is that door sort of, you know, has that door opened up more over the years? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my first impression was like, wow, what a weird thing. This is not like um, other things I've gotten to participate in. And the magnet was like a really nice um, nook to kind of experience that in at that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, taking classes were fun. Uh, some of the classes were still at the theater. So like that home base feel to like learning and then coming back to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, it made it feel like a kitchen, I guess. It was real small back then. There was no training center. There oh. was there was the theater, and then we outsourced classes to uh, like different studios around the neighborhood. Yeah, but it 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 really was. You knew every everybody knew everybody. Yeah, and everybody was like interning. Yeah, if you were at the theater, you were like working in the box office and and doing shows. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think that was sort of the hook into the place after just sort of becoming aware of the theater. Um, there were cool little things happening back then, you know, like, um, you know, if, if you're like me and you started taking classes in the summer, you know, we would just kind of hang out outdoors in front of the theater. And mm-hmm. there were occasional shows where, you know, there was a line to sort of figure out how to like get people in for an orderly reason, because, you know, there might be someone special playing that night. Yeah. And to know those things was so cool about it. And, you know, to be maybe one of few people who knew that that was happening and you could check that out. Um, what was the other thing you were just saying? Uh, is it about classes? Sourcing so classes. Like everybody kind of knew everyone. Everybody oh yeah. Everyone knew doing everyone. everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the same faces, you mm-hmm. know, and like uh, the people you'd see on stage were the people you would be hanging out with afterwards. And um, yeah, like, there, there was always something to do at the theater. There was always a place to sort of pitch in and jump in and get involved and find yourself integrated with this thing that you were learning about. Yeah. I, were you, uh, I'm trying to think of when, were you, were you, you were around like when Mike Myers was coming around and doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see his, uh, the Pitka show, the one that developed into the love guru? Yes. Yeah. I remember, I remember making a day out of that in yeah. terms of like, 
I forgot how we got tickets for it, but it was like, it was like, oh man, are you going to, you know, there's this thing going on and like, um, you know, it was like, oh, I have to see that. I have to be there. I have to be in that room when that happens. And, um, yeah, that was so cool. That was like our first, like really big show. Yeah. Um, I uh, think maybe I saw it in a second workshopped version of it because mm-hmm. it, it may have happened a few times. Yeah, I think I think he put it up like three times. Yeah, yeah. I think I caught maybe the second showing of it. Yeah, and um, what a surreal and exciting night that was. Yeah, um, you know, just remembering Mike Myers being in makeup and having that uh, that jaunty little sort of marine sort of <laughs> sailor's you know knit cap yeah. on, if I remember. And, uh, yeah, just to be tickled by him was, was so great. He did the whole thing. And if anyone knows Osho, this, uh, like mystical, spiritual, whatever, he did the whole thing in the style of Osho and really nailed uh, his outfit and everything. Yeah. It's a weird show. It turned into the love guru, which I, I have never seen, but I've I never do seen not it suspect it's a, it's a terribly great movie. Um, I found like original photos from the like first iPhone that I had yeah. that, you know, had the camera built in and for whatever reason, those photos were like on a computer somewhere, but somehow they, they came back to my phone recently. Yeah. And I, I took a shot of the the movie poster for that. And it was next to like Steve Carell and get smart. And yeah. I was like, what an exciting time to yeah, be yeah. watching like these comedians emerge. Um, uh, but yeah, that the love girl, like never saw it. Uh, I, I, I think that there's a big gap between what that movie became because that, that movie kind of was like the uh, the, the wave kind of crested for Mike Myers at, at that point. Yeah, he, you know, he he's never mm-hmm. been quite so in the in the spotlight since then. And it, it you know it was kind of like a controversial movie, and and not all the people liked it. But I remember the stage show was actually like really beautiful and yeah. very like a lot of it was about like coping with like the death of loved ones and finding a larger purpose in life. And right. there was a, if you remember at one point, Christine Walters produced an episode of Iconoclast. And yes, I yes. Where he was with Deepak um, Chopra. Yeah. Uh, which was another, I think that's something a lot of people uh, uh, either didn't know or have forgotten about, but Mike Myers and Deepak Chopra did a show together at the magnet. I, that one I didn't yeah. see. Right. But you can still see Deepak Chopra. They signed the back wall. On the back wall. Yeah. 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 Well, what's cool is like, you know that that happened, but yeah. someone else who sees that might, like, they think just that's an like, improv team. They think it's an improv team, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember when they were filming that. That's Weren't there a few of those Sundance things? Um, that was the show Iconoclast? Yeah. That was that was the only one that was taped. At the, at the Magnet, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so like stuff like that was going on. And it was like, what a, what a cool thing to bring back to work and talk about, you know, if yeah. you'd seen that. Um, so... Yeah, that that like gave an interesting edge to this thing that you were getting involved in. Uh and then just discovering sort of this rich immediate history of improv that, you know, at that time was maybe 10 or so years old and you know, what a what a cool rabbit hole to sort of go down and start discovering the who's who of this scene and um you know, still getting to see some of those people who, you know, may have gone back to the start of sort of the New York improv scene yeah. doing stuff. One of the things uh, like for better or for worse that, that uh, like UCB really helped to do was perpetuate this like mythology around mm. Del Close. Yeah. Which, um, uh, 
you know, I, I think that like having this kind of like, like legendary figure when you're like young, you're 18 or 19 years old, there's something kind of exciting about there being some kind of like hidden past to it. But I remember when I started improvising, one of the things that was so exciting was it felt like there was all this like legendary history to it, but all of the major players in that legendary history were like right there. It, it, like going mm-hmm. back to like the early, early second city people, like mm-hmm. pretty much all those people were still alive when I started improvising and sure. you could periodically like meet them or do a workshop with them or, right. or, so there was this kind of like interesting thing of like, there's this fascinating history in this other world that, that we get to be a part of, but it's like just close enough to touch it and feel your connection to it. Mm. I, for early on, that was like a big part of like the excitement for me. My enthusiasm for that has waned since then, but it was kind of exciting that like, oh, you're close to these big people. They, and not just big celebrity people, but big people in, in like, you know, you stories about these amazing yeah. improv shows that these guys had created back in Chicago. And I think that's part of that in the room quality of, of improv yeah. that makes it kind of special, you know, that um, to observe and watch um, a performer who may have been around or might not even be an improviser. Like if you've seen Tracy Letts, you know, do improv with yeah. Jay and Dave, um, he's an improviser, you yeah. know, and such a great actor. And like when you're in the room witnessing that, you you're getting the information in such a clearer way than if you were to consume his work mm-hmm. somewhere else, mm-hmm. or you know any actor or performer. Um, you know the same would go maybe for live music. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. So I feel like that scene. Um, you know, in watching that, what, what you're often watching on stage is someone who's been maybe trying to do this for a while. So you're seeing a certain. Uh, vintage of them, you know, and you can trace that back um, or be interested in the fact that they didn't do this at one point, you know, and when you're learning to do it, it's just interesting to, you know, observe older performers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that, uh, there's that connection to all of it when you go to participate in any of it. I remember like when, when you and I were, were uh, coming up. So the landscape of the theater around 2006, 2007 was, it was kind of done. You had tiny spectacular and and the Saturday seven 30 slot. And that was kind of the big show. Yeah. And then the rest of the week was a lot of like student stuff and, and a couple of like experimental weird shows, but it, it, it was like the rest of the week was mostly space for people to try and kind of get their sea legs and yeah. and do a lot of like failing and a lot of like finding your voice. But yeah. what a great generation of people we had to look up to in that Saturday slot. Oh it, yeah. It, I remember like showing up for every Saturday for see Rachel Hamilton and Jean Villapeak and Miriam Tolan. Yeah. The tiny was like, you know, it was one of the probably, you know, one of, one of the better improv shows in the city where you could see, such a rich group of people that got together other than maybe like an ass cat. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, with some of that vibe of the theater at the time of like Mike Myers is playing tonight and it's like, Oh wow. You're maybe the 30th person to find out about that or something, you know, it's kind of like special and secret. And the, the tiny was like the hottest show at the magnet. And you know, like you could, after that show, you could follow those people to see their next show. Mm-hmm. And it was just, yeah, it, it was, it was a cool cast of, you know, probably some of the funniest people in the city. Absolutely. It was also like, 
So Tiny, for anyone who wasn't around for it, was the, the main cast was Gene Villapique, Rachel Hamilton, Abby Sher, Ed Herbstman, Jason Mansukis, James Eason, Tara Copeland, Miriam Tolan. Um, I forget who else I'm missing in it. It was a really amazing cast. And Armando would be there every week and you would see him warming them up and you'd see him giving them notes. And I remember being so impressed by that, that they hung out after the show and got yeah. notes from Armando. Well, about. Well, stuff. I remember teching that show, which was part of the joy of teching was yeah. like, you know, seeing them warm up and seeing the camaraderie of people who may have known each other for a long time yeah. uh, or, you know, had a history of doing shows together that um, no matter where they were walking in from that Saturday, and probably coming from so many different places, um, the ability to connect pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the playlists of music really kind of were important to them because mm-hmm. I remember teching and like you had to, you had to create the their sense of fun and like know a little bit about them to like choose choose the playlist. Uh, I think James Eason usually provided it most of the time. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure that he did. But, you know, what a what a fun thing to see in addition to the rigor of it. You know, these were people who had taken classes with Armando or worked with him. And for them to snap into an exercise that you might be familiar with or doing was so cool. Yeah. Do you remember, like, watching those shows? Cause there was this weird transitional period where you went from, you have these people kind of a combination of like Chicago and, and early New York scene improvisers. Yeah. Um, they, they, they really, they put the work in and, and these were people who had, they were, had done second city and they had done, uh, they were on like major teams at, at UCB yeah. and they were just starting to break into television and, and their celebrity friends would come by every now and again. There's a kind of a transitional period where you went from, you would go there and like soak up, every all these great lessons to take from watching them play to kind of waking up one day and realizing like, Oh, I'm in the Saturday at seven 30 slot right now. It, you kind of, you realize that like some of those lessons have been like digested and absorbed. And now you're kind of, uh, um, you're swimming in the ocean. Yeah. But, but do you remember like, do you remember what you were getting from those shows when you were watching it? Do you remember specific stuff from those improvisers that you were, that you were looking at and being like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, you know, it was a show that could combine patient and grounded with um, a, a silly sense of playfulness at the same time, you know? So it was like uh, those, those players were, they were really strong with their emotions. I think, you know, like um, I remember taking class with Tara Copeland and, you know, watching her in that show and, you know, hearing her in class do exercise to try and get you open to, to emotion as a choice. And then seeing the way some of those people handled that in that show, that jumps out at me as like, oh, the the characters and the choices in the show are, and this has always been the most interesting thing to me about improv is, oh, is people. You mm-hmm. know, it's like uh, the nature of people, um, you know, improv is people, <laughs> you know, like the uh, observing people put that forward in a very natural way was like so magical, you know, with the types of characters and things that they brought to that stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, that's, that's what kind of sticks out in my mind. Yeah. Me too. I I remember, 
I thought Tiny Spectacular was comparable with ASCAT, uh, just in terms of like, they're both a guaranteed show. You know, you're going to be seeing first rate comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, but the thing that kind of like stood out for me about Tiny was that I, I think of it as like the Rachel Hamilton presence, though it doesn't exclusively belong to Rachel Hamilton. Yeah. But it was that feeling of in the middle of the show, you would see something that was um, really heartfelt and, 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 and yeah, it, and pe- people oriented, not, not just, not just churning out and getting to the joke as quickly as possible. Yeah. There were shows when I think you walked away cause you were surprised yeah. by something that they discovered, you know, maybe, maybe it was halfway through or towards the end of a show where it was like, Oh, I was watching this thing and I thought it was about this, but then it was about this. Yeah. And in the end it was about that, yeah. you know, and um maybe maybe even that's why it was funny because it's such a twisted shape of something. Um Yeah, uh, you know, I think that show definitely influenced my um opinion of what this art form can do in terms of create live theater. Yeah. H- having like the those like minds around the theater too. Cause you were lucky enough to get access to all those people. And, yeah. And, um, I still think like Rachel's classes were like some of my favorite classes yeah, ever. She was my level one teacher. Yeah. So. I, I did level two with her and, uh, and, um, a little bit different than now. I think mm. I don't remember focusing on form very much at all in her classes. No, I don't think they, yeah. I mean, in a level one or two class, you know, if you're really getting your feet wet, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think there was any concern for that. It was more about like being connected in a scene, and yeah. you know, I think they were teaching things that were part of maybe a general curriculum of mm-hmm. like here's here's probably a good way to teach this and introduce things and choices and you know ideas about where your choice can come from. Um, I think, yeah, the 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 what you were learning was what these people knew, you know, there was some level of, um, curriculum, but also this is this person's take on it. And, and to have, you know, a lot of people who were in that show were all, were the teachers of the time. Um, you could get a pretty nice breath of different sort of opinions about improv. I, I, the thing that stands out to me about that, um, period was, it felt almost like acting training too. I remember you would be like rewarded in classes. Rachel would do a lot of work in her classes to get you to be kind of present in yourself and mm-hmm. receptive and simple. And and I remember Jean Villapique, she gave me a note after a scene one time that was still, I'm like riding a little high from that. It was this scene of me and this other guy were like going off to fight in a battle. And after the scene was done, she said, I, I, honestly thought that that scene was going to become snarky and ironic and it wasn't well done. Both of you guys. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, man. I, yeah. Just felt like great. You were rewarded for not going the like easy detached joke out route. You were sure. rewarded for keeping things. And what a slippery slope, right? It's very, you know, it's like so, so appealing to like, Oh, I'm in a, I'm in this place of comedy power where people are listening to me, you know? And then it's like, okay, you know, can you actually say something honestly yep. when people are listening? Um, yeah, it's a slippery slope, you know, avoiding a good pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so how long were you around before you started performing regularly? 
You what was the, your first team was Crush? Um, no, I think the, the first Megawatt team that I was on, um, I had joined the last incarnation of Skosh. Ah, uh, right. It was okay. like it was a period of like you know that the end of semester kind of mix ups yeah. uh, where. Uh, you know, people were leaving or switching teams or, you know, uh, whatever may have been going on at the time. And, you know, it was time to add to the team to fill some spaces. So uh, I was part of a class that had just um, finished team performance. And um, prior to the creation of new teams, I think there was a desire to just sort of fill some holes in Mm -hmm. existing teams that were going to continue on. Um, So I was in Skosh. Uh, with Matt Shafiq, Marcy Giroux, Christian Capizzoli, um, George Basil, and Kevin Craig. And I think that was all of us at hmm. the time. I didn't realize Kevin Craig was on Scotch. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was in team performance with me. Um, and the class prior, um, what is level five? Uh, improv review. Improv review, yeah. Which in my day was level three. Right. Right. And I started adding some, some other classes in between there. Well, the first like year or so you pretty much everyone who was around the theater had already been in classes for uh, like two or three years. Right. And most of them had already been studying with Armando for a while before. And so it was kind of like you do the introductory thing and then level two, you're working on the Herald and then level three, you start performing and, and yeah. What a, teams after four. What a great way to just kind of get up there. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> it was. But then as more and more people started actually like starting improvising, yeah. there, you had to create a little bit more time for people to to get the yeah. feel for it. Yeah, and I think I was one of those maybe rarer earlier cases of like, I'm someone who's never seen, touched, smelled this stuff, yeah. and I'm starting here. Um, you know, I started at the Magnet, you know, within its first year of having opened its doors, so... I'm not the the first person to do that, but, um, you know, I think coming through it, it was probably a different experience than a lot of the people who were there who had taken classes somewhere else. Cause by that point, you know, there were, there were quite a few places to, to jump into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember coming, coming at it pretty fresh and this being your first experience with improv? Do you remember seeing shows early on? Do you remember getting the shows or did they like, were they accessible for someone coming in with no frame of reference for it? Yeah. I think, you know, to see a show like tiny and see, you know, improv and comedy in the hands of people who know what they're doing. Um, your mind's much more open to like, okay, this is a thing. And like when it's good, it it's like, it speaks for itself, you know? And then, um, you know, there's all kinds of things people were putting up. Um, I, I remember the tone of the shows at the time, you know, were like, they were kind of experimental, you know, not following. Um, I, I think people were really like just shooting for the stars with like the kinds of things they could put on a stage at mm-hmm. the magnet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mostly improv, um, uh, you know, whether there was sort of a premise to it or, people were really rehearsing and trying to figure out some kind of a form or, you know, maybe Peter McNerney had his hands in it and was like bringing stuff uh, from his college days and people he'd worked with, you know, back in Chicago. Uh, There was all this cool stuff going on. Um, And I think, you know, in terms of witnessing it and observing it, was it accessible? You know, 
I think once you get past the idea of they're just making this up, like, yeah, it's super accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, you just sort of accept what you're watching for what it is. And, you know, if it's good, you're witnessing discoveries and, you know, people who know how to work together. In, uh, in his last book, McNapier talks about the kind of like insularity of the improv culture. And I, I think what he's talking about is probably a little bit truer of Chicago than it is of New York. Mm. But it's something I think about a lot when I watch shows, especially if I see, I'll go to a show and I'll see someone host and, and the hosting will basically be, hey, we are Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we get a suggestion? or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like find myself looking around the room when something like that happens and right. just wondering who is the person in this room who is wearing a fake smile right now, who has no idea what the fuck is happening, right. what that means, what they're watching. Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, in terms of it being accessible, once you've seen it a few times, it sort of clicks. But I think, if you have no grounding in it or no introduction to it, um, and it's it's much more popular today, mm-hmm. you know, like you can make jokes about everybody knowing somebody who does improv probably sure. in all parts of this country. Um, whereas at one time, I think, like when I became aware of it, I was like, wait, what is that? I, I have an inkling of what that is, but like, you know, um, maybe the culture for it in New York didn't exist as long as it has in some other places. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's generally accessible, but if you were in the middle of something where the, you really have, you know, it's super insider with the shorthand for even how things are introduced. Hey, we're Deepak Chopra. You know, it's just like, you know, you're, if you've ever seen your friends play in a band somewhere Mm -hmm. for five bucks, then you know, it's not that far in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I only think of it because it, it think sometimes of like the people who taught us had mm. a lot more theatrical experience oh, behind sure. them. And, and, and I think, you know, they were coming from places that had a cabaret right. and, you know, a, and a discerning audience of, you know, people who were going to spend, 10 to $30, you know, on, on, on drinks right. and expect a good time. And there was a level of showmanship. And, um, you know, I think the way we even handled our megawatt shows back in the day, were sort of like, you know, and now, yeah, <laughs> you know, and now a uh, freeze tag, you know, and the introduction of it. That and, was, that was the big thing with improv yeah. review is you learn how to, how to host kind of a cabaret style show. Yeah. Which I think, you know, reminds you, Hey guys, we're on stage. We're doing a show. You know, and um, it's not this sloppy thing that we all get together and just know how to do. Yeah. Who were, um, Megan Gray has pointed out to me that uh, you see certain people in classes sometimes and you kind of know who their spirit animal is. Mm. You'll see someone in class and you'll be like, I have to bring them to see Christian Pollock play because mm. that's that's the spirit animal or, or whatever. Right. Who coming up was like, who did you connect with? Who were you watching? And, and like, that's the person who I, I, I want to have something of what they have. Or did you not think in those terms? I mean, I don't think I thought in the terms of like honing in on any like specific individual. Um, but you know, I think if you watched the tiny 
you were a fan of everyone because they they did something that only they could pull off. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you'd be like, Oh, I want to do that. You know, like I, I remember Miriam Tolan just not that she'd be like leaning back on a show, but like the show would be doing its thing and then she would just come in and destroy it. Yeah. And like for the for the better, you know? And I think you know what I'm talking about yeah. when I, when I say these things. Um, you know, like witnessing her do that is like, oh man, I wish I had that magical power. Like, where does she get that? You know? And I think everyone, you know, has their their magical power. Miriam would, I mean, never lean out of a show, but no, she was there. She's there a hundred percent, but there's a very kind of casual energy to her when she's not in a scene, she's leaning against the back wall. Mm -hmm. And and she's one of these people who is equally able to do a scene that's like absolutely vivid and three dimensional totally, and completely compelling. And then on a, on a dime, Mm -hmm. she'll just destroy the entire room by doing the funniest fucking thing you've ever seen. No, nobody was funnier than Miriam Dolan. No. And like, it was so unsuspecting because she wasn't like competing with anyone else on stage. Cause yeah. like she didn't have to, at, you know, in any way in terms of like fighting for scenes or, yeah. or getting out there. Cause um, there's always that level of like, I showed up, I want my slice of pie tonight. Yeah. The, I, the first time I sat in with the tiny spectacular, I ended up doing a scene with Miriam and I froze completely. <laughs> as you, It was horrible. <laughs> as one should the first time they do that show. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> It was just horrible. Yeah. I mean, the scene was fine. She did all the work, but it was just that feeling of like, I'm helpless. Yeah. I mean, I'm not giving you anything. Right. I'm not. <laughs> what a nightmare <laughs> to crap out in front of Miriam Tolan. And then like, I spoke with her like years later on this podcast. Yeah. And you kind of like, it sticks with you of like, I just humiliated myself in front of Miriam Tolan. I'm never going to. Right. Connect with this person in any way. <laughs> they don't remember. They don't no. give a shit. They didn't care at all. <laughs> they're like, they're they're probably like, you should have seen some of the shows I've done. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it just like I don't know. That's like a little bit of like a personal head fuckery thing to get out of of, yeah. of your own fuck ups around your heroes mean a lot more to you than they do to them. They're yeah. really shit that it's easy to put behind you when you realize it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Did you ever plan that show? Um, I did in the later incarnation of it when who knows what was going on. You know, I think it was such a special thing at, at various times when, yeah. you know, there were certain consistency amongst the cast and, you know, guests who would drop in who were just like, oh man, who the hell was that? Uh, I remember seeing Rosowski for the first time sit in that show and yeah. it was like an alien had come in from outer space yeah. and like done improv and like destroyed it and then left. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, who was that? Kevin Dorf did it one time too. And yeah. I remember that, that the, the same feeling of yeah. like, he didn't do anything for most of the show. And then he stepped in and like, just like decimated it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, after the, there was, a, there was a really fun period where there were guests consistently uh, who were dropping in. Um, There's probably a time when it was hard to get people together mm-hmm. and like maybe the cast was a little lighter, you know, at one point in the year. And, um, so people from megawatt and, and just around the theater were getting pulled to like sit in one night and I got to do that show. And, uh, yeah, I was like an ice cube, you know, at it's just the feeling of like, oh, wow. Um, I, Mansukis was in that show I'm trying to think of who else was, um, 
I uh, shot the bed in a Mitsuka scene too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible. Yeah, as one. And and Mitsuka's too. Like, I mean, he's such a fucking powerhouse. Oh yeah. That if you crap out, he just takes the ball from you and keeps on going himself. Right. And the scene's amazing. But yeah. like, that's it. You had your shot. Yeah. Sorry. No, Not, sit, sit down, Junior. Yeah, it's amazing how little he has to do yeah. while you're flailing about trying yeah. to like make something happen. Yeah. Um, and when you play opposite him too, you feel like it's just total confidence total ownership right there's just a sense of like rightness to every word that's coming out of his mouth yeah. even if he he probably half the time has no idea what the hell he's doing yeah but it's just this thing of like he owns it 100 <laughs> percent. yeah um i got to do that show um with and it was like with a few other people who were around at the time um no one I don't think I had really played with. I think maybe Roy Koshi sat mm-hmm. in on that show and I'm trying to remember who else. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was, it was pretty much one of those shit the bed moments. Yeah. <laughs> also an important part of a person's education. So yeah. Yeah. It was so great that the theater did that because there was no need to do that. You know, like, yeah, maybe there were some spots to fill, but whoever was around that night, there could have been three people from the tiny and they would have held down it entire show easily yeah um so yeah it was cool going and and witnessing people you knew playing in that show um what what a fun time armando's always talked about being in dell's class and it it being he talks about like chris farley dropping in and already being like a huge star right but just like dropping in just to play yeah and there was a thing that people were the old timers were kind of so in awe of dell and just wanted to like pick his brain on more shit that they would show up in his classes. And so you would be improvising for like a total of 16 weeks. And then suddenly you'd be in a scene with, with Chris Farley. Yeah. And that there was like a culture to the class of we're on equal footing and mm-hmm. you kind of learn by osmosis. Yeah. Just play with these people who are more experienced and, and, and tighter than you are. And I f- feel like that's always been a really smart part of the culture. It was mm. at, early on in the tiny years, they would begin to start pulling megawatt people into kind of uh, uh, rotate and kind of learn from the old timers. And then it fed its way into like the way big sibs are incorporated into classes. Now there's just it kind of been this thing of like, instead of it being kind of like the ladder that you climb, it's a little bit more of like by time you get up there. Yeah. Now part of your job is to reach a hand yeah. to the people behind you and start pulling them forward with. Yeah, show, sure. Which I think is part of what makes the spirit of learning here very pleasant, mm-hmm. but but also has that like great sense of um, what word am I looking for? I don't know. Hmm. I'm blanking. Whatever, mm. you get it. Yeah. No, I mean like the work itself is like a barn raising. It's like you know, it's like oh cool, they're putting up a you know they're putting up a barn wall. Like everyone get behind it and push. Yeah. And to like they're in terms of we're all doing the same work. So like you can kind of play with anyone, which is what's cool about this. Yeah. You don't feel that way when you're coming up. You're just like, Oh, that person is so good. I'm not at that level. But it, at the end of the day, you're doing the same work that they're doing. They've yeah. just done it a lot more and that they're pretty comfortable with it. Um, yeah. The magnet, I think, I think there was that experience of being pulled up through it rather than trying to like, climb yeah and what an exciting way to get involved you know i I remember i remember when classes were ending 
it was just, you know, it was also just the nature of like, we need new blood. We need new blood, you know? And like, you're part of that. Um, and yeah, getting pulled into shows and being asked and invited to do things is, is always fun. And then, you know, one of my fondest memories of the magnet is actually dropping in to the mixer for the first time. You and Megan hosted, it was the Burt Baroctoberfest. Oh, uh, that was my favorite mixer. The Burt, Burt, Burt Baroctober. I think that was oh, yeah. our first themed mixer too. Burt I had just Bach. gotten my hand on the, uh, yeah. on the very best of Burt Baccarock. Yeah. We decided to do the Burt Baccaroctober <laughs> spectacle. Um, it's a great album. Yeah. Yeah. You should download it. It was great. It was, it was the music for the evening. Um, yeah. I remember you and Megan coming out and taking the stage and sort of doing this, um, this like sensual greeting to the audience and sort of describing what Burt Bacharach Oktoberfest was. And, you know, behind us here, I just have this strong visual of something that probably never existed. Mm -hmm. And it was just like the scene that the two of you were creating and just hosting the show. And, um, you know, things like that stick out in my mind as, as a fun opportunity. Yeah. Um, how many, remember there were like mixers every, like every other day there was, there, some kind of there, there was a point where I remember Dan Farrell hosting the, hosting the mixer <laughs> one time they had like just started the Tuesday mixer. Um, right. um it, it, the mixer originally was just after megawatt and it was Saturday Saturdays at like midnight. You got out of there like maybe one. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes later than that. Yeah, Saturday midnight, and then and then it branched on to Wednesday, and then it branched on to yeah. Tuesday, and then it branched on to Thursday. Thursday. I remember Dan hosting the the uh, Saturday midnight mixer, and at the end they were doing the outro and come back for you know we have a mixer on Wednesday, we have a mixer on Tuesday, and I remember laughing really hard at Dan saying, "You can demand a mixer. You can just walk in and ask for a mixer, and and you know we'll put up a mixer for you." Well, there was that one. There was a period where it kind of yeah. felt like that. It was like a mixer every damn night. Which, you know, really says that here in New York City, there's a need for a warehouse-sized bar that's just tiny (laughs) black box cubicles (laughs) that have stages. I think I was telling Kevin Cobbs about this idea. Um, And there's like, you know, just a bill reader on the stage. And if you want lights, you know, you put money in and you get like five (laughs) minutes of like spotlight on that little, you know, it it would be small. It'd be like almost... I don't know, 10 by 10. Yeah. You fit like five, six people in there. And there's 30 of them, like a karaoke (laughs) bar. (laughs) And it's just, you know, shitty improv going on everywhere. My life, my my work day just really sucked. I got to go improvise a scene in front of four people. Hey man, can you break a 20? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had an idea one time for like, you have like a theater complex. You just have like one small theater in it where it, the, the stage itself is big enough to fit a group of people, but then the theater itself is only four stools. So you're just doing like your show, your show, but for a really concentrated. That's great. I still think that'd be kind of cool. To I know. think that's the future. That's where this is headed. Micro, uh, micro pop up improv. Yeah, it's just everywhere. It's the culture. Yeah. We're eating organic everything, and you know, can't wait. Yeah, it's we're sleeping in in pods whenever we get tired. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about your approach to playing for a little bit. Oh, do I have one? Well, two things that, that kind of stand out to me when you <laughs> right. play. It, it, um, you're a very physical player. You're okay, very physically yeah. expressive. Yeah. And you also have a tendency, um, you will notice patterns and notice callbacks that I think slip by other people mm. in the show. Yeah. Um, so I'll start off with that. Yeah. All right. So those two things. Yeah. I think those, those stand out as, um, places where I find myself Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to the first one being 
physical, um, you know, improv by its nature, you know, doesn't, you're in a flat level ground black box. There's no reason to move around that much. There's nothing in the space. You're, you know, it's, you don't need to climb. You don't need to crawl. There's nothing coming at you except for those things that you bring into this, you know, this environment, this, um, this moment of a scene, this idea. So, um, being physical, like, wow, what a, what a great thing to do. That's so cheap and is so effective in helping, uh, set that scene or that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, um, I don't know when that kind of, when I woke up to that in my education, but I think the idea of environment has always, um, rung out for me, uh, that the environment can affect you is, um, is such an easy place to put yourself. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that when you move around on stage, you discover choices that you can never think of. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, your body becomes this awesome thing. And, you know, I think, um, I think there's people who I've seen who would make interesting physical choices. And I'd be like, Oh my God, like where did they get the budget for (laughs) that kind of, you know, like, um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh yeah. (laughs) It was James Eason in a tiny show. It was like just the silly choice of like being a scientist and like ice skating around the stage and like twiddling all these knobs and things. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, this is so stupid. Why is this person doing it? But it was just like, at the same time, it was like, oh, that what he's doing is making his idea so clear to me. And I think that's why I can recall it. You know, I couldn't tell you what else was in that show that night, although it was probably a really good show. Right. But, you know, as a student, that kind of stuff stuck out for me. And, um, you know, then you start to see like, oh, these ticks, these behaviors, these ways I use my body um, really can help me, you know, with this choice I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's the how, how, how of everything. So in terms of being physical, um, it serves me well. I think I also do it cause I'm nervous. You know, I think I find myself out there moving around cause I, I want to know what's happening. And I think moving around starts to tell me where am I? What's in this room? Um, uh, how do I care about it? Um, the space I give myself around my scene partner, you know, like what's our relationship? you know, you do these exercises where like you're moving around the room and, um, you know, just these simple games of like pick someone and pick a distance from them. And, you know, you start to do those things and it's like, Oh, that that's fun. That's fun to see what happens. But it's like, let that be your whole show one night Mm. be in a show. And just like in the back of your head, be like, I don't even know the choices yet that are going to happen, but you know, whoever that is, maybe they scare the hell out of me. And, you know, so, um, it's, it's an invisible script to the show to be physical within it. And you can make those choices and see where they take you, or you can discover them just by finding yourself doing things. So, so you will sometimes make a choice like that for the hell of making the choice and then seeing how it affects everything that happens. Yeah. Um, sure. That reminds me, I watched this uh, video and now I do not remember this woman's name, but she does like a series of videos on like, math Mm -hmm. and one of the things that she said was and i'm probably horribly misquoting and i apologize to anybody with a better education (laughs) than me 
Uh, but m- with math, what you're basically doing is arbitrarily deciding on a rule or limitation and then seeing what happens when you apply that rule or limitation. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and you discover principles by just applying that thing. Yeah. It, it makes me think of that with that interesting notion of you get on stage, you don't know what's happening yet, you don't know what's going on, but you're deciding, okay, I I am always going to find myself upstage of this person. Mm-hmm. That's my arbitrary yeah. rule. And there's simple things to do that kind of put you in control of, of playing a bit, you yeah. know, um, not in terms of being in control in that sense of like predetermining everything, mm-hmm. but more of a sense of you have something to hold on to. Yeah. You have a tool to use to explore with. Yeah. It's not determining where it's going to go. It's, 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 uh, it's something to keep you afloat as you kind of go into this uncharted territory. I think where it's served me well in terms of s- discovering that and starting to try to be physical or move around, on stage or understand where I am or what I'm holding or what I'm touching. I think earlier on in trying those things out that were being handed to me in class, um, it, it did give me something to push off of. Um, it also sometimes became the only thing that was important to me, which clearly started to reveal like, this is not the only thing. This is a great thing to have. Um, I think in exercising that so much, now it's just part of my brain and I don't even realize when I'm doing it. Yeah. So it serves me even better now in some ways in that um, I just let it happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, I might be focused on something else. Uh, but yeah, it's also there as a primary driver of uh, your way into something. That, that's an interesting point. It, um, I know I've talked with like Peter McNerney about this as like a shared pet peeve that we both have, but sometimes people will, they've been told to like go to their environment first mm-hmm. and they start every scene by like touching three objects mm-hmm. and then putting them down and turning to their partner and saying something unrelated. Yeah. And then it's just, it becomes this weird thing where the touching of the object becomes more important than what that is meant to do to open you up to this process of discovering who you are and what you're doing up mm-hmm. here. And I guess everybody has to kind of, you find a tool that works for you yeah. and you kind of go through a phase of falling more in love with the tool than, than mm. with what the tool affords you to be able to do yeah. with it. Yeah. You know, you get seduced by things and then they become your thing. Yeah. And then it's not until you put the thing down that you actually know how to use the thing. Yeah. And now it's like, it's a pretty badass weapon in your hand. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's easy to be seduced by something that calls out to you. But you know what? If you're, if you're attracted to a way of playing, it's because there's something innately truthful in you that you relate to with that thing that excites you. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to explore it, um, but it's good to become aware when it's not serving you because, you know, you're either too focused on it or something else. What's the, um, what's the giveaway? How do you know that it's not serving you? It's not serving you when you feel lost. Mm -hmm. It's serving you when, it's helping you make the next discovery about who you are and how you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's all it has to be really. And then you're just doing it all the time. I think it also makes the audience feel like they're getting more of a show, you know, like I I love seeing people be physical because they're almost tricking themselves that they believe they're in this moment, this scene, this environment, this thing while they're creating it. And it's, you know, how much more exciting to watch than two super, um, you know, heady comedians just going at, you know, some game or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think it also 
became further validated when, you know, I was taking classes with Armando and I don't know if it was instant brilliance or, or something, but just this idea of initiating dimensionally, um, and, um, showing your idea, uh, rather than, you know, describing it and, and becoming the idea. And the physical is such a great way to do that. Um, in that, you'd probably be surprised with how specific you can get, even within maybe your range of physical choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not, if you don't dance or if you're not a person who is maybe in tune with their body through, I don't know, yoga, athletics, or any number of things where you really get to like, let your body be the decider of what you're doing. Um, it might be hard, you know, uh, but, um, you know, once you start seeing with improv, you know, I remember this expression, like every scene is a tissue, you can just throw it away. Mm. That sort of idea, you know, once you're in tune with that and you're like, oh yeah, it's, it's not so bad. You know, I can, I can try things out up here and if they don't work, I'll try something else the next time. Cause there's always going to be another scene behind that next scene. That's a pretty good thought to, to leave our, our listeners with. What do you think? Take it away. <laughs> Frank Bonomo, thanks for talking, man. Thanks it's so much, Lou. A very yeah, nice a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you all for listening. This has been the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know, give us a mention on the old uh, on the old uh, social media uh, thing. Subscribe and write a review. That's always helpful. Thank you. Should I have been saying that this whole time? Subscribe and write a review? Oh, yeah. Do that. Thanks, Frank. Anytime. And that's them years of Apple store training speaking <laughs> to you right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> Thank you to a few people. Thank you to uh, Evan Ford Barden, our producer, to Ed Herbsman, our executive producer. Thank you to Joe. What should I call you? Joe, Joe the helper, taking notes and helping out today. Uh, and thank you to all you good, kind, fine people for listening. Uh, Magnetheater.com for more information on classes and shows. You know it. You can see Frank Bonomo perform every week, Saturdays at 7.30, in what was formerly the Tiny Spectacular class in, uh, uh, slot. Now, I think, uh, uh, very happily carrying forward the spirit of that show with the Armando Diaz experience. Please come by. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Bye! you've been listening to the magnet podcast this podcast has been brought to you by the magnet training center where we teach classes in improvisation sketch writing musical improv storytelling and more if you're interested in checking us out we offer free weekly intro to improv classes you can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com our podcast is available on soundcloud stitcher and itunes and if you've enjoyed this episode please head over to itunes and give us a positive rating we appreciate the support also be sure to check out the magnet theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week all information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com